This is Grind the Arch, oral histories of the St. Louis music scene. Hi, my name is Caleb True, and welcome to the second season. On today's show, I'm so glad to have Chasmin Williams Ali, an old bandmate of mine, now an opera singer of great acclaim. I met Chas when I was in eighth grade and he in sixth at McKinley Classical Junior Academy. We met in Larry Wilson's jazz band, which we talk about a bit. Larry Wilson was an inspiration to both of us musically at a very important age. Later, Chaz and I would play in my first band that gigged in St. Louis. We were called Funk Shui. I remember band practices where we'd get distracted jamming and playing Beatles songs and Stevie Wonder and stuff. Even then, Chaz could play and sing anything. Without further ado, let's get into it. Here's Chaz. came to St. Louis when I was like five months old. So I was raised in St. Louis, you know? Mm -hmm. I went to the Bay in the summers to be with my dad and stuff. So I had a lot of Bay Area connections musically and stuff like that. And I got a lot of influence from that because, you know, between summers and Christmas, my dad is also a musician. I'll get to that in a second. But but basically I was brought up in St. Louis and um, my mom owned a, like a performing arts company. So she did uh, mostly dance and acting. Mm-hmm. And so I I was in theater when I was, I did my first show when I was like 18 months old. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of grew up on stage yeah. uh, in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then when it came to other types of music, um, my dad, like I said, is a, is a musician and so is my stepdad. Mm-hmm. And um, and my I mean my dad's a drummer and he played with everybody from like uh, John Lee Hooker to John Lee Hooker's daughter Zakia and wow. uh, the Drifters and I mean he's a he's a pretty he's a pretty phenomenal drummer and uh, and so I learned a lot from him and that's why drums if you remember way mm-hmm. back in the day I was the drummer for for a jazz band yeah with Mr yeah. Wilson. Totally. And I was the drummer for our bands. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's how, um, that was kind of my first instrument, so to speak. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and my stepdad is a bass player, and he and my dad actually played together in St. Louis um, for a long time, and they moved to the Bay to get together. Mm. They were in a band called The Glass Experience. Anybody that's <laughs> listening to this that was around in like the 80s, they might remember them because they had a pretty good following, and they, you know, like I said, they ended up going to the Bay Area. And um, I only bring that up because a couple years ago, just to jump around a little, a couple yeah. years ago, uh, I was contacted by Alonzo uh, in St. Louis, Alonzo Townsend. And he was he was working at the, the National Blues Museum that they got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they just opened. And he asked me if I would do a solo night at the Blues Museum. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, man, of course. That, that'd be great. And at the time, my dad was back in St. Louis for a while, handling some stuff. My pop, my stepdad, my pop was also there. Mm-hmm. And then the guitar player, who I always call Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe still is in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And Uncle Walt was the keyboard player, but he lives in Philly. But he happened to be, he had some time off. So I 
got the glass experience back together for the first time in over 30 years oh man and we played the blues museum together and it was like a dream come true it was like 10 year old chaz's dream (laughs) to play with all of those guys at the same time and uh, and we made it happen man we made it happen we did a set at the blues two sets and it was the first sellout that they had at the blues museum and actually on the facebook page of the blues museum you can you can see the concert i think it was pretty good for we had zero rehearsals with all parties present <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's professionals right there cuz that's just how it is you know so <laughs> Oh man, that's crazy. I, I was like, I was like, I, I, I'd run this with my dad, I'd run this with my pop, or uh-huh. I'd run this tune with my uncle. And then when my uncle Walt came in from Philly, we kind of like did a rush job and kind of ran through all the tunes the night before. Awesome. And but at that point, my sister was never there, yeah. uh, and she ended up singing with us. So her and I didn't have a chance to run all the vocals mm-hmm. and it, it was just, it was crazy. And we got, but we got it all done and it, it, you know, I think it rocked. I think it was, I think it was, it was, it was swinging. That's super cool. Although they hadn't played together, you know, all of them mm-hmm. in 30 plus years, yeah. they were a band for a long time. So the, the, the vibe came right back, totally. you know, and yeah. it didn't take them. It didn't take them very long to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember how to play with you guys. <laughs> and it was good, man. It was that's good. Awesome. It was good. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, we did an entire set of St. Louis-inspired covers in the second set. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like like we like we did a medley of stuff. So we did uh, Donnie Hathaway. Mm-hmm. We did um, Fontella Bass, <laughs> cool. also from St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. We did uh, Chuck Berry. Mm-hmm. We did Michael McDonald, actually. You know, he went to oh, Matura High School. That. That's really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did, you know, I can't forget. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, that's really funny. He definitely, he looks like a St. Louis. And now I think about it. That's really funny. Right, <laughs> right, right. He looks like he my looks like he has some. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. He has some baked ravioli in his days. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's funny. So and a toasted wrap. That's super cool. So you, um, like, where? what was your schooling? Like, elementary school, middle school? Middle school is McKinley, but... Um, and then did you go to VPA after that? Yeah, so okay. so yeah. I went to... I kind of bounced around a little in mm-hmm. the elementary world. Yeah. Because I, I was at Ames for a bit, mm-hmm. and then I ended up at Kennard, mm-hmm. and that's how I ended up at McKinley. Gotcha. Ames is a performing and arts, then right? Ames is the performing arts, that's right. Okay. Yeah. But then at the time, at the time, believe it or not, kids from McKinley, we had we only had three options of schools we could go to if we stayed in the St. Louis Public mm-hmm. District. And those options were uh, Metro, obviously, mm-hmm. Soldan and Gateway. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. But I wanted to go to VAP. So I ended up going to Soldan for a week. And then my mom... And I were like in the superintendent's office and filling out all kinds of paperwork. And I mean, we just we raised hell until until they let me go to that. And nice. now and now I think McKinley kids can go to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now McKinley's his own high school. But mm-hmm. for a while there, we had some McKinley kids coming to that because my mom kicked that door down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. The uh, the PTO, the whole like parents and being involved with the St. Louis Public Schools is such a like story of my childhood too. 
and like some of my friends do. I just feel like that there's like right. no like public school, at least the way, I mean, all my peer, my peer group is like, there's no story about going through schooling without parents like fighting for stuff. Like that's yeah, very safe. Yep. Place. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and they think that they have it all together. And they're like, oh, you know, we're McKinley's this blue ribbon school and all this <laughs> stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you, you put handcuffs on the kids. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there are, yeah, still crazy. plenty of issues. One thing that we share and like, and like Josh Levi a little bit and like Ryan Koenig and just some of the, you know, people who went to McKinley was um, the very unique experience of like Mr. Wilson, who then left uh, after, <laughs> after, I think while you were maybe still at McKinley, he left if that's, if that's the right timeline. Yeah. Um, yep. And yep, uh, I was still there. Yeah, that and that was just. Um, yeah, do you if you want to talk a little bit about um, about getting into uh, music there? Yeah, man. So so really, it was kind of a fluke because I was uh, I was a choir kid. You know, like my my primary instrument is singing, and um, Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson was just this, this really cool dude, Larry Wilson. Oh man. As a matter of fact, I remember telling my, my dad and my pop that Mr. Wilson was my teacher. And I was like, man, I know Larry. He used to play in this band and this band. And he used to have crazy <laughs> hair. And, uh, and they, I mean, and they knew Larry, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And so I remember when my pop came to some of our shows, they would like stand and talk for a long time. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to go now. And they were like, man, do you remember this guy? And I, that's great. But Mr. Wilson was this, Mr. Wilson was this kind of like phenom of a of a of a teacher especially for a, a middle school in inner city st louis oh, man. i mean he played everything he played mm-hmm. sax he played trombone he played trumpet was his primary mm-hmm. he played bass he played i mean like he played everything yeah and so one day um in sixth grade mr wilson was playing around with something and the drums were set up down by the cafeteria, you know? Yeah. And I was like, hey, can I can I play? And he was like, well, it's really for band kids and all this stuff. And, and he said, what do you play? I said, oh, I play drums. And he was like, man, well, let me see what you got. And so I sat down to play and he was like, oh, you're going to be in the jazz band. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. And people, you can't see this over a podcast, but like the term jazz is very loose because everything we played was the OJs mm-hmm. and... Yeah. Uh, we played uh, the stylistics. Yeah, remember we played. We did that. People make the world go round. That was oh, yeah. your number. Like yeah. you used to do the solo on that one. Totally. Yeah, we were. A, that was a a funk band or an R and B band. Like it, that was the. I mean, best by which I mean maybe the funnest possible like version of a jazz band for kids like that. Oh yeah. Oh so for good. sure. Yeah. For sure. Were you were you still there when we did the the Janet Jackson song, or yes. had you gone by then? No, no, I, I did I did um I did play that with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like like come on. Like the 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 entire school went crazy. Yeah. When we played Janet Jackson, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. How are you gonna How are you gonna beat that? Do you remember when we um when he arranged uh, that Jay-Z song and that, that one dude was going to rap to it, but he was like way too shy. <laughs> Do you remember? And Mr. Wilson was like, like, here's the mic, here's the mic, here's the mic. And the kid was like, no, no. He's like all demurring, it, you know? No, I don't want to do it. Because he... <laughs> Cause he would do it. He would do it in rehearsal, mm-hmm. and then when we got out, you know, in front of people, he was like, "Nah, he didn't. He didn't want to do it." <laughs> but did didn't somebody end up like playing a solo over the top of it or something? Or we just did a short like, we just played the chorus a couple times and then he cut it. 
I can't remember. It might have been either like, yeah, sort of I, set up for trumpets or soloing, or, or maybe it was just like adding yeah, a medley. Because yeah. we definitely had like a medley going on for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That dude, Mr. Wilson, He, I, I don't know what he's up to these days, but mm-hmm. I hope he's doing well, and I hope he's still influencing people and, and playing because that guy was a beast. Yeah, yeah. Whatever high school got him is really lucky. I think he went to a high school after that. And I think it was a like a pay bump, which is, I mean, <laughs> well-deserved. That dude, like, yeah. For real. <laughs> he always had that, hey, what's going on, man? What's going on, man? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he really made you feel like a real musician, which is, a, I don't think that happens to yeah. a lot of middle schoolers. Exactly. And he, did, and he didn't, like, he didn't, like, talk down to us. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't talk down to us, even though we were kids. We were totally kids. That's exactly he, like, who you talked down to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he... Yeah. He he like he he treated us like musicians. He mm-hmm. actually one summer at the end of the school year, he was like, "Hey man, I want you to push yourself," and he signed me out a trumpet for the summer. Oh, that's awesome! To play, and I I mean I don't play trumpet to this day. I don't play trumpet. I think I made like four notes vibrate on the trumpet all summer. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he was like he was like, "Push yourself, man! Like like try mm-hmm. try to play something else. You're a good musician. Try something else." That's cool. And uh, yeah, he was he was good. Mr. Wilson was good. Yeah, special, like really unusual uh, to get that when we got that. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. And that's like, I mean, talking to a lot of people about their like getting into music in St. Louis, it seems like there are these kind of a lot of these, what feel like really unusual uh, things that have happened to people at a, at an age when it like makes a big difference that creates ends up creating yeah. these like really devoted musicians in the scene um in the various scenes and that's just i mean for me i think mr wilson was the person who made me like bust my ass to learn jazz chords um shortly <laughs> after like even buying my first guitar you know what i mean like accelerating that program <laughs> so that i could show up the next year and not feel like an idiot sitting there <laughs> yeah yeah, but man, I mean, it's like he he is one of those people that I think is very good at like kind of introducing us to that ribbing world of musicians. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like he talked just enough trash to you mm-hmm. to make you feel like you were one of the guys, but also you had you had to get it together. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. Because I remember, I mean, I mean, Mr. Wilson let anybody come in and try out for jazz band. And I remember mid-song, he kicked the kid off the drums and had me play in the middle of the song, in the yep. middle of the show. Yep, that's true. Yeah. And there were some there were some folks, I remember, I think it was John Nadeff tried to play drums in jazz band. And, like, he just wouldn't, like, hold it down. He would, like, start, like, doing fills and stuff. And it's like, no, that's not going to work here. It just... You know, we need we need a pocket mm-hmm. and like, yeah, I mean, there's like different ways of it not working. But like one of it was like, no, you can't just show off like this is a team here. You got to like you got to do your part, you know, everybody do your part. That's right. Mm-hmm. Because he he I think I think he turned out a hell of a of a of a middle school jazz band. Yeah. Or R&B band, if you want to call it that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who like, else gets that opportunity. I feel like jazz the way it's like uh taught i guess like academic jazz or the way it's introduced to kids is usually really really watered down and often it's like kind of swing but like maybe not even that fun as swing or as like uh bebop or like you know sort of 40s big band type music um yeah and i just he just 
we were just playing the funnest stuff. That's so unusual. And it, and a lot of time and a lot of times people in like especially like you said like in middle school and even I mean heck even high school yeah like a lot of times they get these like watered down arrangements that make you feel like you're not even playing the real song. Yeah, totally. You know, like mm-hmm. and I was and I'm sure and I know that you were too because <laughs> because we used to do this in your in upstairs at your place. Like mm-hmm. I was one of those kids that would go get the CDs and like listen to the tunes and like, like okay, well, what are we listening? Like, what are we playing? Like, oh, so he took that line that's supposed to be strings and he put it in the saxes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, like, and I remember like you and I would sit up and listen to all kinds of stuff upstairs after after band rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you introduced me to like Frank Zappa. Like, I had, <laughs> I never would have been in, like listening to Frank Zappa if I hadn't been at your place. You know what I mean? So oh, like, right. yeah. But we, but if you were that kind of kid, if you were that kind of musician, it meant a lot to you to be playing the real song. Right. Yes. And Mr. Wilson let us play the real song. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it wasn't like, okay, here's a, you know, here's a high school arrangement of Satin Doll, oh my which God. don't get me wrong. I love Duke. I love Duke Ellington. When you're 15, you don't care about playing Duke Ellington. And it's like, it, it's nice for him to mix in some stuff that you want to do that makes you feel like, hey, well, if I trust his opinion now. Mm-hmm. Because we killed this Janet Jackson song, so <laughs> yeah. if he says it's good, I'll listen to it. And then when you when he says now this is also good, then you go, oh okay, yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's kind of like this in real life, but like you need someone to tell you it's okay to think that this is good, mm-hmm. and you need to appreciate that person's opinion before you can take it on and say like. Oh yeah, it is okay to be good. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's like a maybe it's a more mature kind of subtlety that makes it good or something. But like, it's easier to appreciate, uh, especially at that age, some some little bit more forceful stuff. I think that we all in the world that we live in now, mm-hmm. we all respond to, and even and when I say now, I mean like when we were kids yeah. also. But we all kind of respond physically and musically to the beat or the groove or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. and it's hard to get into the groove of that subtle swing stuff mm-hmm. if you've never been into it before yeah and it's hard to feel it and it's hard to feel like oh i know i know how this feels or there's no familiarity to it mm-hmm. you know i always think that th- that there needs to be an element of familiarity in order to like push someone into expansion yeah. Like like you have to start off feeling like, oh yeah, I know I know this. I know how this goes. I can I can rock with this. I can vibe with this. And then you have something that you can hold on to that introduces you to something else. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's got to got to find your way to that to um different kinds of appreciation. Yeah, different musics and things. It's hard to like you can't just go from nothing to listening to like heavy metal or or like, you know, some kind of free jazz or something you need there there are like these intermediaries so you like kind of can understand it or know how to think exactly exactly Mm -hmm. there's i mean there's a reason why like the most famous jazz musicians are the ones with music that you can recognize and hum along to Mm -hmm. you know like miles and Mm -hmm. louis armstrong and even dizzy gillespie and those kind of guys i mean i just exclusively name trumpet players but (laughs) shout out shout out mr wilson yeah Um, (laughs) <laughs> but like but like you you can hear a Miles Davis song and appreciate it and go oh okay I know how this is supposed to go I know mm-hmm. what this is supposed to sound like I know what this vibe is mm-hmm. it's hard to just jump into a modern jazz quartet and be like all right I I immediately recognize this 
from nothing? Nah, right. that's hard. That's tough. Yeah. You need a lot of context for, for modern, for really modern stuff. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Wilson's amazing. I, I really, um, it's kind of hard to put it into words. I was also thinking about um, his scraps of paper, like his, so the scores he would do kind of for every little section. <laughs> Uh, and the fact that like he probably was given or like came to some booklets for like middle school teenagers jazz band and was probably looked at it was like this is ridiculous and he's like I'm gonna have to just do this all by myself so he just made his staff paper and like you know his like chicken scratch handwriting just like did did these little parts for everybody that's yeah. just it's so above and beyond being in like jazz band for like made part of a year in high school I'm just like they didn't even do that in high school for us it's crazy and the cool thing was like some like looking back at that i remember some of the parts were like not even a full page of paper yeah it'd be like eight notes or something yeah yeah it'd be it'd be like one like one line of staff paper Mm -hmm. that he would cut off and then put like a repeat on it and he'd be like all right you repeat this four times and then stop yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) totally it was like okay and for guitar, it'd be Hi, like, here's like three chords. Um, and, I, and I would sort of like, I taught myself how to read the chord notation so I could like do it, right? But then I get there after having like studied all summer and he's like, oh, just play it this easier way. And it's like one bar. <laughs> and he can obviously play guitar perfectly, you know, because that's just one more instrument. He just can just do everything on, you know. There was a song that at one point I knew the name of the song, but he always just called it intro because we always started with it. Yeah, I never knew what song that was. I kind of thought he had made that up, but is that from, is that like a standard? It, it, no, it's not. No, it's not a standard, but it, it's a, it was like a, it was like the, the hook or the chorus to like an OJ song or something. Okay. Yeah, no, that song's great. That, um, I don't know. That's the, the best part of, of any, <laughs> any winter recital, any spring recital. That was why everyone, you know, waded through it all. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, and I, don't get me wrong, I was in all of the choirs. Totally. Literally yeah. all of the choirs that wasn't, that wasn't like grade specific, you know, mm-hmm. like I, if I was in the sixth grade, I wasn't in the seventh or eighth grade choir, but I was in every other singing ensemble. The choirs never closed the show. It was always the jazz band. Yeah, such good memories. I still have Man, VHS of those somewhere. I, I uh, if I ever digitize them, I will. I will. Um, I will definitely share that. You have to. You have to. Like, cause I, I, I want to say my grandfather had like, you know how, you know how this goes. I'm sure, but he had like, I was digitizing some videos for Christmas one year, mm-hmm. and I saw like a two second snippet of one of our concerts, mm-hmm. and then it like switched into something else because he had taped over it. Oh no. That's hard. It's, <laughs> That's it's, hard to see. It's almost like, I was like, killing me, killing me. It's the kind of thing where I'm pretty sure my dad would never get rid of that. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure the guitar solo I did would embarrass the hell out of me now. But like, you know, you know, I was 14. It's okay. Oh, man, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> when you used to play with your teeth, the people would go crazy. That, that's the kids true. would go nuts. It was, uh, yeah, that's true. They it would was, go uh, nuts. It was fun. <laughs> Was, I was like, yeah. I was like, we were the coolest man. We were the coolest kids in the nerdiest school in all of St. Louis. <laughs> man, for we like, were the coolest for like kids a week in the nerdiest after, school in all of St. Louis. You know what I That's mean? True. Like two weeks always, a year. <laughs> two weeks, two weeks a year. We were, we were rock stars. True. Yeah. <laughs> after that, it was back to Miss Hobby. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we were probably the coolest. Uh, 
the coolest 14 year olds in all of St. Louis at that point. Yeah, for sure. For, for sure. sure. Yeah. We had like awesome. a following and everything. Like people were people were waiting for the jazz band to come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was Every right. time. Um, so uh, so you got into Central VPA, um, and I'm kind of like curious, and I'm sure like it's an it's a unusual story um, how one gets into opera, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so is that did that it, start to happen at VPA or I had a choice between I could I really 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 wanted to go to that. Mm-hmm. But Soldan also had an incredible choir, mm-hmm. like an incredible choir. Mm-hmm. So I, me and my mom sat in Miss Sims' office. Shout out to Miss Sims. Totally. Uh, she was the the choir teacher at, at McKinley. Yeah. We sat in her in her choir room, and Miss Sims told me that I need to go to VAP. She was like, the the choir at Soldan is good. But at that, they they have produced more people that continue into music outside of high school choir. Mm-hmm. And part of that was was this guy named Delo Thetford, mm-hmm. who is like a gospel legend and choral legend in St. Louis, especially. Interesting. But yeah. really kind of all over. Yeah. And so Delo, he was at Roosevelt High School for like... 20 years or something like that and then he became they called it the like artistic director at at a high school which yeah. really just mean just meant that he was over all the arts so he was more like an arts coordinator than he was like an artistic director for a, you know i mean it's still a high school who right. kidding right miss <laughs> sim said you know dello has produced professional musicians yeah. so chad should go work with dello mm-hmm. so i ended up the story about me getting into that was kind of funny. I, I was like, the principal made me sing in the hallway. And I was like, okay. So I just like, he was like, if you're really this good that we're supposed to fight for, you sing something. So I just sang in the hallway. And he was like, all right, we're going to try to get you here because you can sing. Damn. That's, so, that's a good, I mean, that's kind of a great apocryphal story, though. Like, good anecdote. Like, to be able to say that and have that in your, like. It's like, it's like come on. I was 14 coming yeah. out of the eighth grade. And you're like. Are you good? Then sing something. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. I'm standing there. Like, how, how much more comfortable could I be? I had my mom literally standing there. Yeah. Who was like my first director ever from all the shows we've done together. So I just sang something from a show we did. And, and she was like, see, I told you my baby could sing. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, and so we ended up at that. And Dello, Mr. Thetford, is a very, he, at the time, he was not the choral teacher. And he, he never was the choral teacher, but he had a singing group because he liked to, to still make music with students. Mm-hmm. But he was was very into classical music. And he was very into, like, if you want to be a musician, you should go to college. Like, like you have the ability to go to college for singing. So mm-hmm. you should do that. And in order to go to college, you got to sing classically. Now, we also had a choral teacher named Miss Crockett. Miss Crockett, uh, who I also became very close with, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And she also was like a, a, a champion of classical singing on top of your like gospel and pop or whatever. Yeah. And the story goes that that Mr. Thetford gave me a solo on a Christmas concert my freshman year. Nice. And... I was supposed to sing it classically, and I did not. And he was like, you know, he had already come down on me at the musical in the fall. He stopped the entire rehearsal, the orchestra and everything, went in the middle of my solo 
and said, stop, you are making this ugly. <laughs> Jesus. Because I was singing all these riffs and stuff over over the song. And he was like, just sing the song. And I, uh, I mean, that was so embarrassing, but I learned so much from that because there's a lot to be said for just singing the song as it is, especially at 14. Like, you know, your riffs aren't as good as you think they are, I guarantee you. You know, <laughs> yeah. And so Dello in this Christmas concert demonstrated something that he and he's you know he's not a singer but he can you know but he can sing mm-hmm. and he demonstrated something and had me and he wanted me to sing it like classically like that mm-hmm. and I imitated him and I said dude you're never gonna get me to sing oh, you know and he went oh yes absolutely you need to sing like that. <laughs> And so he walked Damn. me upstairs to Miss Crockett and he said, do what you just did. And I sang like that and she was like, oh, all right, we're going to have him sing. And she started handing me like Italian stuff. Nice. And, and, from, and I was like, what is going on? You know what I mean? Like I wanted to be a gospel singer. I had no interest in in doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I but I played along because, it, because if that meant I could go to college, you know, get some scholarships. Yeah. All right, fine. I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can play that game for a while until I get where I wanted to go. And then I got into a program at Opera Theater of St. Louis. They have a very unique program for high school students. And at the end of the year, you go to the opera. And uh, my senior year, I was in it for two years. My junior year, we went and I and I was I thought, oh man, this is really cool. Like this is this is like the Opera Big Leagues because it's a really good program. I mean, like the Opera Theater of St. Louis is a is a really good company. Mm-hmm. So in the summer, so their summer program. Uh-huh. Uh, they're a summer uh, festival, basically. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they, they they break the St. Louis Symphony down into two groups because they have their performances on the campus at Webster U. Yeah. And the theater isn't, is the, the orchestra pit isn't big enough for the entire St. Louis Symphony. Mm-hmm. So they break them into two, two groups and then each group plays two halves of the season. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So like there are four there are four main shows, and each half plays two shows. Mm-hmm. My senior year, we did they did a show called La Traviata, which is a Verdi opera, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's got that like the really famous. And so that show was epic. And when I walked away from that show, I thought. I could do opera like that. Sweet. I could do that kind of opera. Yeah. Because everything I had seen beforehand was I saw the Barber of Seville, which was yeah. really funny. I mean, yeah. like it's a it's a comedy show, but it's not my kind of opera. It's yeah. still not my kind of opera. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a show called it was like a modern production of Jane Eyre, which is just not great. In modern English? opera in English. Everything the okay. opera theater does is in English. Huh. Okay. They're one of the few companies in America where still they still do English translations of all the operas. That's uh, hmm. yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny you say that because because we as singers we don't know how we feel about it either, and yeah. me especially. I'm so I'm so for doing operas that are written in English. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and, and allowing people to experience opera in their native language. I think that's I think that's dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, these these composers. They take like painstaking time 
to set music, set the text to the melodies. And so then for someone to just come in and do a translation, just to do a translation, just to say it's in English, I'm like, wait a minute. And you lose some of the, like, like you lose some of the magic of it when you translate it, in my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, there's a reason why Inglorious Bastards was in five languages. Because totally. it just, it means more when you watch it all in its original language. You're like, oh man, like, I get it. I get yeah. that it's like dope. You know <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. But yeah. at the same time, at the same time, me being able to like understand what was happening was a big reason why I connected to it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so it's kind, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a double edged, you know, it's kind of a double edged sword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after seeing Travi- after seeing Traviata, I was like, I can do that kind of opera. So yeah, I decided to go to the University of Iowa for opera, and uh, I met probably the most influential musician of my life there, which was uh, my coach Sherry Rhodes, and and yeah, that that set me kind of on this crazy path that I'm on now that I'm <laughs> talking to you in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so you were a Cornhusker. Is that right? Is that the right school? No, 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 no. Don't disrespect me like that. <laughs> is that Ames? <laughs> My bad. Uh, is that <laughs> Cornhuskers Ames? are, that's Nebraska. No, oh, that's shit. Nebraska. Okay, yeah, that must be a rival, right? Uh, Ames, Ames is also a rival. That's, that's okay. Iowa State. Yikes, okay. <laughs> uh, the, the Hawkeyes. 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 Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Right on. Right on. I can't keep all these uh, these like out in the fields colleges straight. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. If you're not if you're not in it, if you're not in it, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you don't know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But the there's a there's a shirt there's a shirt that kids used to wear there, and it was like Ida, Ohio, and it was yeah. like. <laughs> It was like Idaho, Ohio, Iowa. It's like we're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> Just cornfields. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Lives up to the hype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Interesting. Like fresh off the husk. Yeah. Sweet corn that was like it. It tasted like sugar. You know yeah. what I mean? And it was just naturally that sweet. It was so good. Damn. Good. Well, that's good. That's crazy. Totally worth, better be. totally worth it. <laughs> cool. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, that's your one thing, Iowa, so you better do it right. That's right. That is the one thing everyone knows about you. That's right. Corn and, and, and caucuses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Corn and the first caucus. Well, that's super cool. Um, so when you saw Traviata, was that uh, that was also in English then? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And um, uh, kind of a full circle moment. It was uh, uh, one of it was summer 2018, I believe. Mm-hmm. Summer 2018, I got hired for the first time by Opera Theater of St. Louis. Ooh, cool. And after, you know, after going around the world and doing, you know, doing stuff in all these other places, I finally got hired at home. Yeah. And I was hired to to do you know a pretty big show, and then they also asked me to cover or be the like the the understudy mm-hmm. for Traviata to be the lead tenor to cover the lead tenor in Traviata. So I was Sweet. like, man, that, <laughs> the next time they did Traviata after I saw it, I was involved. So that was kind of a cool. That's super full cool. circle moment. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Does. Opera Theater of St. Louis, do they cycle through like a lot of the like fa- favorite operas, and like do they kind of play the hits kind of thing, or do they um, try some weirder stuff? Kind of both. So that's good, yeah. So yeah, so so a lot of the like summer festival type places, like 
Opera Theater St. Louis mm-hmm. or Glimmer Glass, which is another place I've worked, or Santa Fe, yeah. or uh, um, Merrilla out in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Usually what they do is they run like, you know, between like three and six operas at the same time, like throughout the season yeah. or throughout the summer. Yeah. And what happened is like at least one of them will be like a hit, like a classic, yeah. you know, and so you can come to the classic. But then usually there's at least one pretty obscure one or one like new work. So like at Glimmer Glass, they, they try to do one musical, one kind of like hit opera yeah. and one like obscure opera and then maybe one like English, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or one Baroque or something like that. Uh-huh. So actually uh, I came back a second time at Opera Theatre St. Louis and they did a world premiere. Yeah. Uh, by Terrence Blanchard. Do you know him? Mm-mm, no. So Terrence, Terrence Blanchard, uh, he's a trumpet player, jazz trumpet player. Oh, cool. And he writes all the film scores, or a majority of the film scores for Spike Lee. Oh, nice. Okay, right on. And so he did, like, you know, like, Mo Better Blues. Yeah. I think he even did Malcolm X and that kind of stuff. And then he also just did the, the Harry Tubman movie. Like, he yeah. wrote the score for that. Mm-hmm. Black Klansman, yeah. uh, one of those guys, you know, he's, yeah. he, you hear his stuff and you're like, oh, yeah, I know that. Mm-hmm. So he wrote an opera and I was the tenor in that opera. Sweet. And the world premiere was at OTSL. And actually this coming season, the Met is doing that show and it's the first, the first opera the Met is ever producing written by a black person. Damn. Well, that's cool that St. Louis did it first. And so St. Louis commissioned it. St. Louis did it first. And I'll be involved with that, too, if, you know, if COVID says the same. At the Met? So, uh... Yeah, the oh, that's that's super cool. So, have you sung there before? No, no. This so okay. this would be this is my first time. I'm supposed to make my debut in a Wagner opera. Oh damn, um, dude! Which one? The Meistersinger. Oh, cool, dude. Yeah, it. Whoa. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I like like to think to think that this kid from like inner city St. Louis is, is gonna potentially be singing at the Met is like what? That's, no, that, that's, <laughs> dude, that's so rad, and it makes so much sense. That's uh, that's super cool. Wie ist deine Deutsch dann? Ah, meine Deutsch ist okay. Cool. Ich versuche, ich, ich versuche, aber mein Sohn ist ganz toll. Schön. Deine Gesang ist, yeah. ist ganz gut. <laughs> ja, ich auch, no, ich auch. Ich versuche auch. Yeah, mein Deutsch ist yeah, immer, immer yeah, schlechter, weil ich das nicht üben kann. <laughs> Nein, es ist besser als mich. <laughs> I do love, um, like I studied abroad there and uh, we, we've been going back to Austria every once in a while, like house sitting and stuff, but like, oh man, yeah, the, doing a year and a few months without being back, it's, um, German's just gone to shit. Yeah, man, look, look, it's, it's hard, like even for me, so like over here I work, you know, my job is, is in German, you know, like yeah. I work in German. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and when the pandemic hit, it was like, oh, I guess I'm just staying at home watching Netflix and talking to my wife and son in English all the time. So mm-hmm. my German is not what it was three months ago. You know what I mean? Totally. Like even yeah. just that, even just that quickly, you're like, well, if you don't use it, yeah. you're, and, and for me, it's like, it's like the, the speediness of my recall. Yeah. And like the, the length it takes me to like process and go, okay, now, okay, yeah, okay, she needs socks. Got it. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Americans, man, they uh they don't get that they don't get that practice the way Europeans do. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. I mean, listen, the, the foreign the way we teach foreign language in America is like 
is laughable yeah. at best. Yeah. And my dumb ass did French for seven years. I should have at least done Spanish. I could actually practice that here. Yeah, for real. Me too, man. I took French with Madame Evans yeah. at, at McKinley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the weirdest opera you've ever sung? The oh, weirdest man. score. How much time you got? Uh, <laughs> Dude, I love this. I don't know if like how much like you know all the punk kids who listen to these podcasts are gonna want to know, but like, dude, I love opera, so like, <laughs> I'll talk about this for a while with you, for sure. Oh man, I'm I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Um, so that's tricky because because like the the weirdest score that I actually liked was uh was a show called Flight by a guy named jo- jo- Jonathan Dove, and it's a it's a pretty modern. You know, it's a pretty modern opera, but it's got some really cool stuff in it. And, and I remember learning it, right? And so my opera scores, my opera scores look so funny to people that don't know me or don't know, like, they don't come from where I come from because you know more about, you know, the kind of music we came up with, we just talked about with Mr. Wilson. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's a section in this in this um in this score that i just have james brown groove over the top <laughs> and this coach like looked at it and was like what does that mean and i was like oh you know like that there's that james brown song funky good time because the strings are doing this dun 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 and i was like yeah that's like funky good time and so like he sings <laughs> over the top of that we had this other thing that we were singing and i was like but if you don't like you know you sing it against the james brown groove <laughs> <laughs> She's like, okay, all <laughs> right. Works. And then there was another thing that I had. Yeah, I had I had Brubeck written over the top because this one huh. thing totally was like Blue Rondo. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is like, there's that like, you know, da 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 Yeah, nice. But if you ever get a chance to see that one, it's cool. It's it's a uh, it's based off the same story as the uh, Tom Hanks movie, The Terminal. Oh, interesting. Okay. That guy who was that guy who was like stuck in the in the airport in Paris for like two years or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, based on a true story, huh. and so the opera was was written about that guy, and it was you know, and it was it was cool, and I had to kiss a guy for the first time in that <laughs> show, and that was fun. Nice. Let's see. I did. Um, oh, there's a there's a um, an opera of the Crucible. Is that in English too? That's also in English, okay. and it's it's weird. It's out there. Nice. It's out there. Is it like a modernist score kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I my wife is a pianist, is an opera pianist. Mm-hmm. She also works here in Heidelberg, and they were working on right uh, right before she went on maternity leave. I just had a daughter like four weeks ago today. Congratulations! And thank you very much. They were working on Lulu by Berg, and damn, yeah, oh man, it is insane weird. And so like I, I didn't actually work on it, but I like to think that I did listening to her work on it. Totally, and yeah. I was like get this. <laughs> Getting a film, and I'm like, yeah, film. No. yeah, 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 no, 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 that's not for me. Yeah, that's not that's not for me. Yeah, you know, I've been very blessed in that my voice, I think, lends itself very well to like the Italian mm-hmm. and and the French rap. So yeah. I don't do as much of the weird stuff. I've done some of it as we discussed, but mm-hmm. not as much as some of my some of my colleagues. Birdie is like just so much fun. Oh, he's he's the king. Yeah. For sure, he's he's the guy. I think I think nobody nobody got it as right as Verdi did, in yeah. my opinion. You totally. I think he did this wonderful thing where he was able to he was able to get these like epic moments with the orchestra. 
Mm-hmm. But then when the and then when it's time to sing, the orchestra gets out of the way a little bit, mm-hmm. and yeah. then you're able to like to sing. So you'll get this, and then you can sing over the top of that and still be heard. Whereas in Wagner, a lot of times, and also in Puccini, you're like doubled with the orchestra and the horns, and you have to like try to sing your line while this French horn is also playing your line and hope that you can be heard over the horn. It's like, you know, yeah. it's hard. It's, yeah. it's much harder on the voice. It's much harder to get right. It's not actually yeah. harder on the voice. Mm-hmm. It's harder to get right and easier to hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, how does miking, is, is there miking or is it still old school with no... Uh... No amplification. No, there's no there there's no amplification in opera men. Okay. And that is one of the like to me that's the thing that separates opera from many other art forms. Yeah. Is that it just it just works. It's an acoustical trick, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean you can get you can get really nerdy into the science of the like the overtones and the formants that, that really make it like work and really make it happen and the like efficiency of a voice, which is why a baby can cry forever and you can always <laughs> hear the baby mm-hmm. because because they produce their sound in the same like way that opera singers do, the same frequency, the same efficiency and same everything. So no matter where you are, you will hear a baby. And so no matter where you are, you will hear an opera singer if they're good. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, that's super cool. I didn't know that uh to like no places. That's just not a thing. Like the standard is to not mic, not amplify anybody in an opera. Yeah, and okay. um, unless unless you're recording. So you oh, you may see pictures where you see people that are like Oh, well, this singer has a mic, or this singer has a mic, and it's like, well, yeah, they're doing an HD broadcast, yeah, and gotcha. and so they're like singing into the soundboard, mm-hmm. but the people in the house aren't being mic'd. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cool, and I guess that means um, as far as there's no monitoring either, so that means you guys have to just you you really have to listen to each other. And and the weirdest thing is that like when you sing at big opera houses, when you sing it like with big orchestras and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really trippy because you kind of have to be ahead of the music because if you're reacting to what you hear, you're going to be late because to the audience, it will have already happened in order for it to get back to you. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's trippy. And you can imagine, like I said, like (laughs) for those people that are still listening from the beginning of this, (laughs) uh, drums were my first instrument. So my inclination is to be in the groove. Yeah. Is to be with you know, it's to be with the with the band. If you're on and time, you're late. If you're, with, if you're on time, you're late. <laughs> That's crazy. And so you see a lot of conductors say stuff like "sing with your eyes," mm. which you know what I mean. Which is like, don't <laughs> don't react to what you're hearing. Sing to what they're conducting. Aha! Uh-huh. So really follow the conductor. Yeah, follow yeah. the conductor because he'll be you know he'll be ahead of the orchestra usually a little bit. And if you sing, you know, light travels faster than sound. So if you sing with the eyes. Mm-hmm. generally you'll be all right i can see where the uh, where all that practice has to every last bit of it that's crazy that's a lot of it's uh, a lot to think about <laughs> oh yeah and then on top of that you're like singing in a language you don't speak and right and 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 now the the standard which i'm totally happy about has gotten up to a point where they're like they want you to to be a good actor on top of being a good mm. singer you know and and sometimes now they even want you to like you know be pretty <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you gotta like lose weight and, and worry about that and and you got like that on top of the appeal, you know what I mean? Of, like, Hollywood. <laughs> it's a Hollywood yeah, yeah, effect. Yeah, you gotta be the Hollywood effect, a hundred percent. Oh no, hundred yeah. percent. Nothing ever good comes out of America, at least not from Hollywood. I hate, I hate how right you are. What uh, have you ever done? Any uh, any leader? Any uh, sh- was it oh, Schubert? Yeah, Schubert and Schumann and mm-hmm. Strauss. 
some of those little, uh, little pieces, like piano, voice yeah. type stuff? So I love doing that kind of stuff. I, I the, the market for it is not as lucrative, yeah, so to yeah. speak. Totally. Unless you're, unless you're like already established. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like if Renee Fleming come and does the Night of Leader, she's going to make a ton of money. Right. But if I'm like, hey, I want to go do a leader concert, I'm like, okay, have fun. We'll see you <laughs> on YouTube, kid. Right. You know? But but I loved I loved doing that kind of stuff. And I did a, I did a fair amount of it in college, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Where you had kind of have to, like, cut your teeth. Totally. And actually, I, I did a recital where I went back to the University of Iowa with my wife now. Mm-hmm. Cause she, like I said, she's a pianist, mm-hmm. and we did a recital, and we did, and we did, uh, like a third of it was was German leader. Cool, yeah. I, those so are, it was, those are it was really cool. Nice, man. It, and if anybody's out there is like, like not hip to what leader <laughs> is, Lied means song, right? So these are just German songs mm-hmm. with just piano and voice, and um, and they're just like a lot of times they're they're like poetry, like Goethe and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah, and Heine, but a lot of, but sometimes they're just like little stories yeah like little stories that you tell and the germans they got it right and the nice. french also did some good stuff that they call melodie where you can get mm. like Forêt and debussy and mm. um you know other people han mm. uh and then the italians also have some art song but their best ones in my humble opinion is the Neapolitan ones, Ooh, the ones yeah. from Naples, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so that's when you get the like mama, like all of that stuff is their version of the German leader. But the German leader was kind of at the forefront and the most um, the most high art of them all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is that sort of form? It constitutes any sort of uh, just piano voice i guess song forms is that kind of those all fall in the category of leader yeah yeah exactly exactly but but everybody kind of has their name for it you know what i mean like i said the italians they'll call it like italian art song or neapolitan songs and the french call it melody Mm -hmm. which is different than their cabaret which you know the cabaret stuff you get into like Jacques Brel and Edith Piaf and yeah. and they're more like but it's it's the same concept just less like high class does that make sense yeah yeah it's like it's... instead of doing it at a concert hall you can do it at a club right for instance yeah but but leader is is the term leader is specific to german and it was, um, so what are you doing? for the German ones, it was also, like, one thing that made it unusual was the fact that it was in vernacular. It was in German, but it was in, like, everyday German. Gotcha, yeah. Okay. And you know from speaking German that you have, like, the do and Z mm-hmm. form, and most of it was all do. Yeah, you know, that's what, pretty, that's cute. <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> it's cute, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, at the time, the, the first, one of the first song cycles that they attribute to, like, cycles, yeah. was, uh, was Beethoven. Uh-huh. And Beethoven was awful at setting the voice, in my opinion. I just <laughs> don't think he was he was good. Yeah, yeah. But he but his song cycles his song cycle was all right. Mm-hmm. And but if you think about it, like here's this very popular at the time composer, and instead of writing these like big romantic things, he wrote these leader that you just sing in the living room and you sing with the piano and it's more intimate than opera it's more accessible and in some ways it's it's funner because it's meant to be sung right at the people it's meant to be like in a room where people are just sitting on the couch and you get up and you sing 
you know, lots of flirting, minor leader. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They just get up and just crush it. You know what I mean? Yeah. The salon music, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you, and on top of that, you have these like really intricate writing for the piano as well as the voice. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing that made Leader so special is that it was it was just as much about the pianist as it was about the singer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, oh, this is just the background music to let the voice go, mm-hmm. which is what made Verity Verity, right? I would just talk about it. Like he's he, he was able to get the orchestra out of the way yeah. so that the singer could shine. Mm-hmm. But in leader, it's about the con- it's about the ensemble. It's about the putting the, the togetherness, which is what made it like really, really complicated and good. Yeah. And then they took that idea and they started, like I said, with Beethoven with these song cycles where the whole cycle tells a story. You know what I mean? And you have 20 songs. Nice. That yeah. is one big story with you and the piano. And some of the best ones of that are like Schubert's. Venturaiza mm-hmm. uh, or Dishuna Millerin mm-hmm. or um, or Schumann has um, the Liederkreis. He also has the Frauenleben with Leber. Oh my goodness, that was only for women. Is El like, uh, Is that is that Schubert? That's Schubert. Okay. That's Schubert, and that's and, and that's one of the ones that's like you know it's just as much if not more about the piano than it is about the singer. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know what I mean? The piano is like yeah. it's a, like it's a it's it's ridiculous and yeah. it's it's epic and it's it's awesome and it's you know when you when you schedule to do El Koenig the first question is not who's singing it the first question is who's playing it <laughs> yeah who's gonna be helping me out with that yeah who's gonna play it <laughs> yeah and in the Schumann you know Schumann stuff like I said the Frauenleben und Leben Frauenleben und Leben Frauen Liebe und Leben. Sorry. There's this beautiful like piano intro that starts the piece, and then it also comes back at the end. Yeah. There's life and death and all this stuff, and that piano is a character in the story. I mean, it's you know, yeah. I mean, leaders. Leaders a special thing that I wish more people were into, so that so that it could be done a little more often. Yeah. But uh, but man, it's good stuff. Yeah. It's good stuff. Rare and special. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And don't get me wrong; it'll never replace my like my big operas. You know what I mean? Like I still want, you know, I still want Aida with the elephant coming on stage. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but to have that same kind of voice singing in your living room and singing so delicately and so beautifully is also very, very special. Do you have a a favorite production that you've done? Favorite production. Um, for different reasons, I have different things. I mean, I know that's kind of a cop out. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I uh, I was blessed enough to do a few productions of Porgy and Bess. Cool. Yeah. Um, the Gershwin piece, mm-hmm. and I think that score is genius. Yeah. But more than that, that was the first time that I was ever able to walk into a room at work, and every one of my colleagues on stage was a person of color. Cool. Yeah. In the that's world cool. of opera. Yeah. You that's... know what I mean, like. Like I tell this story all the time, where I, where I cried in one of the uh, in one of the the five minute breaks mm-hmm. because I walked into the room and everybody was discussing the TV show Martin. <laughs> nice. And I was like, I have never been at an opera rehearsal and not had to explain 
what Martin was, let alone <laughs> talk about our favorite episodes of Martin. Nice. You know, yeah. and it was just a moment that I was like, man, you know, like if, if it weren't for this show, I would never have experienced that. Yeah. So I, I there's so Porgy and Bess, the couple of productions that I've done with that is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very partial to this to this production of Cosi Fantute that I did in college. Uh-huh. That was really kind of special. We did it in Italy, and it was really it was really cool. That was my first trip to Europe for like a long period of time. So I was in Italy for a month singing Mozart, which was kind of awesome. Was that through uh, University of Iowa? Yeah. So so that coach that I was talking about, Sherry. Yeah. She had she worked in Europe for many many years and has many contacts over here and and so we set up a thing where uh, it was like a joint production between another. Uh, school in in Milano mm-hmm. and they provided the orchestra and we provided the singers and that oh, was kind cool. of the deal nice so nice. we got there and we we learned the show musically in America and then we got there and rehearsed for three weeks in Italy and then that university's orchestra which we found out when we got there was a Baroque orchestra, so they were playing with period instruments. <laughs> nice. So we did the whole show at 400 instead of 440, which was a trip. What is that? Uh, the tuning. Um, oh, okay. So they so they tune. We all modern instruments. We tune it at a at 440 hertz. Gotcha. Okay. So we, yeah. Uh, but they tune at a at 400 hertz. Oh, so you have in to the like Baroque time. You have to like drop it down like a quarter interval or something. It was basically a whole step. Okay. Okay. Oof. So dark, everything was everything. so like cool. It darkens everything nice. and stuff that you know, like as a singer, there are things that just feels a certain way, and you're like, okay, well, this feels like this, yeah. And then down a whole step, it doesn't feel the same. And so yeah. you're like, man, why is this different? And some of this is like, man, this used to be hard. Now this is easy. And some of this nice. is like, this used to be easy. Why is it so hard? Why is it so low? You know. Yeah, that changes. That can change a lot. At least how, yeah, to yeah. get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> so you think you're reaching for this high A and it's really a G. And you're like, well, mm. it's not quite as high as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Interesting. So, but when we rehearsed, we still rehearsed with a modern piano. So we were, it was weird. It was like, okay, so we're rehearsing at 440 and then performing at 400. It was weird. That's, but the yeah. production was really, the production was really fun and, and really good. And then I'm also partial to this production of Madama Butterfly that I did um, in Washington D.C., which was also really really awesome. Nice. Where was um, where were the productions of Porgy and Bess? Um, so the first one I did, I did uh, at Glimmerglass in mm-hmm. upstate New York, and then I did a production at English National Opera and Dutch National Opera in London and Amsterdam. Cool. Okay. And then I also did one more, which was the same as the Glimmerglass production. They called me and asked me if I could like do my my track at, in Fort Worth. So that one was kind of was kind of cool, and that was kind of a like it's not going to be that hard, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not going to be that hard to like just come in and do what you've already done. Yeah. <laughs> just step right into your old costumes and everything. So it was good. It was good for a show, or were they recording? Was no, no. Like... So so in opera, a lot of times um, companies will hire out their sets and costumes they mm-hmm. hire out their production uh-huh. so the smaller companies don't have to build the set or build the costumes they can just they can rent it they can say well we're going to do la Boheme and we're going to use you know chicago's production and so chicago yes. will rent their costumes and set 
to the smaller company. Gotcha. So they just pay the one rental fee instead of the fee to build an mm. entire production. Yeah. Right. And so it was the same it was the same production that I had done with the same team and they asked they were like, Hey, can you come and do this same production? at a different opera company. Uh, are there, do you have anything, like any operas, uh, like big ones that are on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? Oh, man. I mean, so many. Lot, right? <laughs> you yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, um, well, one one that's kind of like right now and kind of like it hurts is is The Tales of Hoffmann. Nice. Uh, Offenbach. Cool. Um, yeah. Because I was supposed to be, I was supposed to do that this season and then because of COVID, yeah. that that was really the, the show that brought me to Germany. It was like, hey, we're going to do Tales of Hoffman and we want you to sing Hoffman. Hell yeah. Um, and that's the and uh, so, fairy tales, right? That's some dark stuff. It's, su- it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, also, Rigoletto is one mm. that I, that I've like circled nice. for a long time. Mm-hmm. I actually was hired to do it twice and or three times and, and because of previous engagements or like changes in schedule, I couldn't actually do it. So hmm. that's been eluding me for a long time. Yeah. And then and then I'll say as a black person, mm-hmm. I'd love to sing Aida. Yeah. And I'd love to sing uh, Otello before I retire, but not too early. Because opera is one of those weird things where like you can really hurt yourself if you sing something earlier than your voice is ready for. Hmm. Yeah. And Otello is a really tough one. Yeah. So I don't want to. I don't want to jump into it just because I'm black. Right. But uh, but when the time is right, I'd like to sing. I'd like to give one crack at that. So, um, like, what maturity of, of your voice? Like, when, what are you waiting for? Like, um, how does that work? Well, the simplest way I can say it, I think, is a, a show like Otello requires a lot of angry singing. Hmm. And if you sing angry for too long, it's hard to sing pretty again. Interesting. Okay. And so for me, I'm like, while my voice is still pretty, yeah, I'd like to stay pretty. Yeah, interesting. Okay. You know, it's like smoking a bunch of cigarettes. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and and not just that. It like it. It also like it where it sits. It starts to sit a little bit lower in the voice. Yeah. And so a lot of times people lose uh, a little bit of that shine and shimmer in their high notes. And I have pretty decent high notes for now. So I'm like, well, let's, let's keep using those while we got them. Let's keep singing La Boheme and keep singing, you know, butterfly and stuff like that. that are nice and pretty and high. And I don't have to so much like (laughs) push in that middle voice and then, yeah. And then pay for it later. We're getting, we're getting in the weeds of of vocal technique here. Sorry. I didn't mean to do that, but I love it. I I am curious and I'm very interested. So I'm just going to force this on the, on the, whoever's listening to the, you know, these episodes (laughs) because it interests me and that's all I care about. Um, Perfect. Yeah, I love it. You like it. I love it. No one else is gonna. I mean, I don't know if there's how many opera podcasts are out there either, but like you know, I uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's I wanna I wanna I wanna get get unusual with this stuff. That's what's interesting yeah. about all of it. So we we can farm it out. We can farm it out to somebody else. <laughs> we got we got an opera episode for you for the nominal fee of you know, <laughs> totally twenty yeah. grand split between the three of us. <laughs> so so your voice will tell you when it's ready yeah i think so i, I think so i yeah. believe that and yeah. i think and i think it's easy it's easy to it's easy to fall into this trap of like well he can sing the notes mm. so to think that just because you can that you should mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and those and those are not always synonyms you know yeah like just anatomically there's cartilage that grows and thickens on the vocal folds mm-hmm. as you get older 
which changes the timbre and the color and the strength and the size of your voice. And opera is one of those weird things where, like, you know, if you have good technique, you can sing well, well into your 60s. If you if you have like if you're taking care of your voice and you're taking care of yourself, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be hard to sing well when you're 60. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not as high. Maybe not as the, you know what I mean. Like some yeah. of the repertoire will probably change. Yeah, but but the fact that you can do it says a lot, and that's kind of what I mean. So I'm like, you know, some stuff is like it's just where my voice is now, or where one's voice is at 28, at 30, at 25, is not gonna be where it is at 40. Absolutely. And so there's some stuff, and there's and the thing is that it's hard to find people to sing some of that rep, that forty year old rep well. Yeah. And so it's easy for people to jump on the idea of like, oh, oh, we might have somebody that can sing it. So let, hey, you want to sing this? Mm. And all singers want to sing that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like we all got into this art form because we love it, and because we love those, those songs, that repertoire. So yeah. like, duh, you want to sing it? <laughs> yeah, and if yeah, and but, if people are gonna pay you, it's it's a temptation, I'm sure, to like take a job, it, you know? Exactly, and yeah. that's the other thing is like is like while people want you to to, to sing for them, you want to sing for them, you know yeah. what I mean? Like like there's this idea that like there's always some kid fresh out of college that'll do your job. There's always some somebody that's like, well, I'll do it and I'll do it for cheaper. Damn. Right. Yeah. I'll do it and I'll do it earlier. I'll do it and I'll do it. You know what I mean? So you, there, there's this like really kind of hard line that you have to have and this fine line that you have to walk of what is what is like good for me and what's good for the company, mm-hmm. you know, and and what's good for me now versus what's good for me long term. Like, do I want this job or do I want a career? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like those are all the kind of like questions that you have to ask yourself. Like I was offered a really big contract for for the Met actually, but I didn't want that to be the way that I debuted at the Met. And at the same time, I was I was offered to come here to Germany for mm-hmm. less money mm-hmm. to sing the rep that I wanted to sing though. Right. So I was like, so do I take less money now for a higher ceiling, or do I take the more money now because well, while they're asking, say yes. Right. And I ended up coming over here to Germany, which who would who could have foreseen foreseen the pandemic where an opera singer in Germany still gets paid because we're government employees. So yeah. I'm very grateful for that decision. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Smart. <laughs> but on t- but on top of that, I I then was was offered to come to the Met anyway. You know, a year later or two years later. Yeah. So Sweet. it's like it's like you know that's for everybody that has that kind of decision in front of you like know your worth and and like have your goals and like have your like you got to be a little bit stubborn in the music business you got to have a little bit of that you know a little bit of that like this is how i I explained it when i was talking to some kids i was like you simultaneously have to have this mentality of please hire me i'm the right person for the job but you also need to have at least a little bit of don't hire anybody else Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like there's just a, there's just a little bit. I mean, you know, I don't want people to be out there saying that Chaz is telling everybody to be a dick because I'm not. But, like, <laughs> but, but you have to have a little bit of that in you to be like, hey, I'm the best person for this job. Yeah. And I know what I'm capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And I know what the best version of me is. And trust me, you want to hire that. 
Yeah. And when people don't believe in that, you have to stick to your guns and say, nah, actually, actually, I do know what I'm talking about when it comes to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard. You know, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard just like any other thing in the world. It's hard to it's hard when somebody that that you like look up to or, uh, you know, a, a job or a business is like offering you something and you really like if you really want to be at this company, I guess the best way I guess I could, I could say it like this. Is it more important you to work for a specific company or for you to do the job that you want to do? You know, like, is it more important for you to be, it, let's say you're a computer programmer, right? And I'm not a Mac person, so I'm going to say Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're a computer programmer and, you, and like, your dream is to, work, is to work at Microsoft. And so, is it more important for you to be a computer programmer, but at Apple, or to work for Microsoft and be at the front desk? That's the kind of thing that, that we run into in music all the time, where it's like, well, I want to be on the big stage. Yeah, but like, do you, do you want to be on the big stage as the as the roadie? How soon? How soon do you want to be on the big stage? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like you know, want... yeah, you want to peak at the right time, or you want to just yeah, you want to have a career. Yeah, you want to have this uphill that keeps going uphill as long as you can go uphill. Exactly, and yeah. and honestly, the the ceiling is one of the reasons that made me choose opera over other stuff because mm-hmm. I would have loved to. Are you kidding me? I would have loved to be a gospel singer or a blues singer or a pop singer or whatever, mm-hmm. but. The idea of like always waiting on the next hit, you know what I mean? Or this idea of like waiting for your quote break or something always. Uh, To me, because I always knew that I wanted a family and stuff. I was like, well, I want to be able to make music my job and make performing my job without having to be like, you know, a teacher. Yeah. Which I don't mind teaching at all, but I but I like to be that teacher that does like a master class and I come in for like two days, spew all of this stuff that people think is brilliant, <laughs> and before they realize that it's garbage, I'm gone. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> ah, best definition of a master class I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like and I, and I don't think uh, I don't think I'm what sure, I say yeah. is garbage, but right. like but like but like at the same time it's like, you know, no one's technique works for everybody. Right. So if I come in for two days and it works for you for two days and then you get back with your teacher and you're like, I don't get it. It's not working anymore. You know what I mean? Like maybe like maybe there's one or two nuggets you can keep and maybe there's a lot that you throw away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, it's like a workshop. But, yeah. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, and so I love doing that kind of stuff and I love working with young singers, but I don't want to be at a school. Right. I'd rather perform and then come and teach a little bit. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. opera to me, not only did I fall in love with the art form, but I also like the idea of kind of it being a job, you know? Totally. Yeah, totally. And then when I step out and do jazz gigs and when I step out and do like that gig at the Blues Museum I was talking about with my family, mm-hmm. then that is just pure fun. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just 100%. I love it. If an opera company screws me, I feel bad about it. I get hot about it. I'm really upset. But that doesn't affect my love of all music. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. when I when I was doing gospel and I got like I kind of like stiffed a little bit in, in, in like a church gig and I was like I don't I don't like this because I don't want my like religious beliefs to be affected by some dude who didn't pay me what I thought I was gonna make at a church gig. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. And the same thing and the same thing with like with like blues and jazz and all that stuff like i want to still be able to listen to that stuff and not feel like ugh. remember that time that guy didn't pay us and we did this song you know what i mean like yeah 
like that's not that's not fun nobody wants that it's a good separation of your work and and you know what you love and i think it's fun to have some other what's the word i'm looking for like some other outlet of music Mm -hmm. to remind yourself that music is fun because when it becomes your job it becomes your job and you're like oh i gotta learn this and i gotta learn this and i gotta do this and i gotta be at this rehearsal and i gotta pack my suitcase again for another six weeks and i just got (laughs) home and all this stuff and sometimes you forget that like you love what you do and then you step out on the stage with a band and you're like oh yeah this is fun isn't it yeah yeah it's good to play it's always good to play even even professionals need a uh you know, need their amateur thing or their fun thing. Damn right. Yeah. Like Mr. Wilson. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that dude worked, but like, he certainly looked like he was having fun most of the time, which is admirable. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. With, with, with sixth graders, seventh graders and eighth graders, which yeah. I mean, it's hard to have fun with an eighth grader. At this yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine teaching in middle school in any way, shape or form, except if I picture Mr. Wilson, I'm like, well, he could, f- he figured it out. Goodness but check it out. Did. Mr. Wilson also was teaching pre-Facebook and Twitter and social media. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like some of the stuff that he said, can you imagine that being like <laughs> live streamed on Snapchat? Like, oh my goodness. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, there's, he was, yeah. There's no way. He was loose. And, uh, I think that's why people liked him, you know? For sure. How else can you be cool with with kids? Yeah, I mean that's such a oxymoron to even try to be cool for kids. It's like or with them, or just not even yeah. worth the effort, you know? Just just be the authoritarian and, and exactly, just exactly. I'm just gonna put my foot down. I'm just gonna yeah. put my foot down. It's like, but he was able he was able to do it. But I never crossed that line with him, and I never, mm-hmm. I never like he was never the teacher that had kids hanging out in his room after school or yeah. or during the lunch break or anything like that you know what i mean like remember, yeah. he was very like this is my time which yeah. was also respectable you know what i mean like mm-hmm. like i also respect that because there were teachers that always had some kid in their room during the <laughs> breaks and you know yeah. and a lot of times i was that kid you know what i mean yeah. like, like yeah. i respected that he was like nah bro this is this is my time and I'm going to eat this, and then I'm going to go outside and smoke a cig. And work on his other... St- I mean, that dude must have been in, like, four bands while he was also, like, doing that job. I think I, I remember him talking about um, just playing other gigs and doing stuff with, like, his adult bands, you know? It's like, I don't know what kind of midnight oil he's burning, but, like, that this is definitely a day job for him. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And, like, some gigs he's playing guitar, and some gigs he's playing trumpet, and some he's playing saxophone. It's like, man, it's what crazy. the heck? Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, it's really admirable. It really makes you like think like, okay, so people who think about St. Louis being really insular and, you know, not like a place where you can just be a professional musician. It's like, well, he was certainly doing that. Like, he probably didn't need to teach middle school, but it was probably like cushy enough that like, what else are you going to do between nine and three in the during the day, you know? Yeah, and the insurance, you know what I mean? Right, yes, no, I mean, that's the, oh, that's the American, that's the ball and chain of, of, you know, being an American is like, well, I got to figure out, or an adult anyway, I got to figure out how I'm going to get health insurance. Trust me, I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. So you're in the right country at the moment for that kind of thing, for sure. Exactly. Power to exactly. you, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's Trust good. me, having, having had a child and then at the end they were like, all right, enjoy your baby. <laughs> See ya. No one asked me. <laughs> it's it like, oh man, this is not how this went for my mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. That's, that's really great. 
Good timing too. I mean, if you're gonna like stay home with your kid and you know, for, for COVID, like COVID's bad, but like if you're just chilling at home, kind of that's what people want to do when they have a newborn. So that's great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have paternity leave here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like like built into the system, which is kind of nuts. Yeah, it's great. But but even if I didn't, this would be the time. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. this is this is like unofficially paid paternity leave. Which yeah. is kind of nice. That's really great. Yeah, that's great. That is great. It's so cool that someone I know from back in the day is uh, doing opera too, because that's just an unusual trajectory. And I, I don't know. I super. I, I love opera. Me and Julia went to. Um, we flew. Uh, we live in. When while we were still in Seattle, we went to New York for a weekend to see uh, Il Trovatore, which is my favorite uh, opera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Il Trovatore. Um, you've never yeah. sung that one, have you? No, not yet. But man, that's on that's on my list. I almost I almost mentioned that one when you asked for bucket list because I mean, you know, it's like so, it's so epic. Yeah, the the anvil, um, <laughs> the anvil yeah. uh, symphony, I guess, or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. The uh, my favorite part of that one's actually the um, at the end the uh, miserere. That's the Ooh. fucking oh my god, dude! It's a heartbreaker. The, that one, yeah. There's a there's a recording with um or, or like a video with um. Kalas? Dolores Zajic mm-hmm. and um, and Dmitry Hordostovsky and mm-hmm. oh my goodness they just tore it up yeah yeah that's one of the like most beautiful two minutes of music I can like think of <laughs> yeah I, I'm glad you appreciate it man because because I think I think opera goes very underrated with our generation mm-hmm. of like just sheer beauty of, of music and yeah and the and, storytelling like for the most yeah. part like so much of opera is super intense like I mean I love sort of the hyperbolic movement of in any kind of like liter like narrative but like so much of it is heavy and intense gothic like you know whether or not it's german or not like it's very just very gothic heavy stuff um lurid there's a lot of gore like or at least implied gore and like i mean people should like it kids should like it because like it's fucking like horror movies and shit you know it's yeah yeah, for real just super intense and you 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 dive into these libretti and you dive into like you know a lot of times you'll see this thing that happens in an opera and and they come back and sing about it, and you're like, "Well, what happened?" And they're like, "Oh, they burned my whole village just now." And you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't see that on stage, but that escalated quickly. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. Like... Yeah. I mean, Verdi's funny. Like a lot of opera's funny. I mean, I saw Faust when I was in Vienna a couple of years ago. Um, that's Gounod or Gounod's. I don't know if there's multiple Fausts, but um, there's a, yeah, there's there's a few, but Gounod's the probably the most famous. Gounod or Berlioz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's funny, like the devil's like showing up and running around and causing problems. And I, I don't know, it's just mm-hmm. like people who get it, like obviously they get it and they know they realize all these things. But like, yeah, it's funny. It's like lurid and like and like gruesome. You know, it's it's kind of a lot of the extremes that people gravitate towards in, in pop culture. Yeah. Too. So, yeah, it should be it should be as popular as we think it should be. <laughs> or like or like Pagliacci, man, like, like, mm. yeah, like, like. The drama of, of a dude doing a show with his wife <laughs> and catches his wife cheating and still mm-hmm. has to do the show. Oh, my God. And in the show, his wife is cheating, so he can't separate what's the show and what's real life. Like, 
Like, come on. Like, that's like, yeah, that's like epic daytime drama right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's very soap opera-esque. I mean, that's why they call them soap operas, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, like, it's over the top, but it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sort of excess and that sort of like over the top, I guess it's, I guess hyperbole is the word. Like that's sort of not the way to go in a lot of, in a lot of um, trends in American literature, but like it's yeah. a, a way more fun, <laughs> that sort of stuff. So that was our chat with Chasmin Williams Ali. I want to thank Chaz for taking the time to talk about all things St. Louis and opera. You can find out more about Chaz and hear more clips of his astounding singing at chasminwilliamsali.com. You have been listening to Grind the Arch, Oral Histories of the St. Louis Music Scene, hosted by Caleb True and Jim Fitzpatrick. This episode has been mixed by me, Caleb True. The Grind the Arch logo was designed by Julia Hahn. To check out more episodes, go to anchor.fm slash grindthearch. If you dig this podcast, please rate and review it. If you have questions or comments, we can be reached at grindthearch at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Whisper.